Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Donald Hubbard. Dr. Donald R. Hubbard presents the scriptures with clarity, warmth, and humor. His insights bring useful, practical applications that will enlighten and encourage the hearer's mind and heart. And through his effective exposition of the Bible, the scriptures become relevant and alive. Today's message is the discipline of Jesus. Tonight's my last night with you on a Sunday night service, and I want to pause just before I begin my closing study and express my appreciation to the faithful Sunday night crowd. And we recognize that we're one of the few churches in the area open on Sunday night to have a Sunday night service. And I am uh, certainly mindful of the sacrifice which you have made continually to be faithful to the Lord's house. And I just want you to know how much that I personally have appreciated that and how thankful I am to God for you. What can we say, what little truth can we drop by the grace of God and the Spirit of God into your heart that just might linger and that you might remember for a little longer perhaps than what we might remember other truths. Well, last words are always important. And I'd like for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28 and let me focus in upon one of the last statements that the Lord Jesus made before he went home to be with the Father after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. I want to begin reading with verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. And I want to emphasize verse 19 because tonight I'd like to share with you a message, a Bible study that I hope will be helpful because I want to hone in on what I think this church and all churches will be facing in the coming decade. Listen to this. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Paraphrased, as you go, make disciples. Or, having gone, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Discipleship. It's a lost note in our evangelical world today. I've been browsing through a book. It's entitled Racing Toward 2001 by Russell Chandler, an award-winning journalist and religion writer for the Los Angeles Times, in which he deals with the forces shaping America's religious future. And on page... 165 of this book, I was really struck by his comments and especially a survey which was taken just three years ago. I'd like to take a moment to read it for you tonight. I may even read it again next Lord's Day morning because I think it is so very important for us to get a handle on this. I quote, For all the hype and stereotype." The evangelicals have produced a great yield out of those committed from childhood to what they stand for. They devised institutions that attracted loyalties. 
They have overcome negative imagery and became respectable from the White House to the Miss America pageant to the National Football League to good graduate schools, says Martin Marty. I might paraphrase and say Mr. Marty is a religious sociologist in Chicago. Continuing, evangelical groups are generally savvy in marketing and communication skills, which are at their best, turned into instruments for evangelism. At their worst, they become the tools for a consumer-oriented superchurches that twist the faith into a gospel of individual acquisitiveness. Quips Tom Sign, quote, the evangelical church is being co-opted slowly by the American dream. Do it all and have it all with a little Jesus overlay, close quote. But here's what I wanted you to hear. Sociologist James D. Hunter, author of Evangelicalism, The Coming Generation, warns that the next generation of evangelicals may be moving toward accommodating the world while edging away from the key beliefs that once defined the historic faith of evangelicalism. A disconcerting study by the Roper Organization lends credence to Hunter's fears. Conducted in 1990, it tested the behavior of born-again Christians before and after their conversion experiences. The shocking result conversion made very little difference. In fact, the use of illegal drugs, driving while intoxicated, and marital infidelity all increased after the born-again experience. The study was made because we believe the results would show that born-again Christians are significantly different and pose fewer problems in these crucial moral and societal issues, commented Don Otis, vice president of High End Venture Ministries, the organization that commissioned the survey, but the findings reveal the opposite. We've reached a point, Otis lamented, where there is little correlation between what evangelicals say and do. Accountability is lacking, confrontation is lacking, and we are marketing salvation in such a way that discipleship is simply not occurring. Did you get that? Accountability is lacking, confrontation is lacking, and we are marketing salvation in such a way that discipleship is simply not occurring. And so tonight, I want to ask you a question. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Am I? And before we answer that question, it is not enough to say, I believe in the Lord Jesus. The question is, are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Would you take your Bibles with me and turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6, and I'd like to begin our study in this chapter by sharing with you that not all who say they are disciples of the Lord are true believers in Jesus. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, the Lord Jesus had just given an enigmatic saying which the people found difficult to understand, many of them, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They didn't have a clue as to what Jesus was indicating. For an example, in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. 
Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Jesus said, does this offend you? And notice that in verse 66, it says, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus answered them, verse 70, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So if I want to be serious about what it means to be a Christian, if I take seriously my faith in Jesus Christ in the midst of today's acculturated society, then I have to understand for my own soul's good, what is it? that constitutes discipleship from the New Testament frame of reference. Not from what popular writers say that it might be. Not from those who try to encrust it with all kinds of tradition and liturgy overlay. What does the New Testament speak about when it speaks about one who is a disciple of the Lord Jesus? May I give you four statements tonight? I'd like for you to write them down. Take a bulletin because this is my last opportunity to share with you about discipleship under these conditions and in these circumstances. I want to lay before you four theses tonight of what a disciple of Jesus Christ really is. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, am I a disciple? As I stand on the threshold of 1994, am I really willing to be that disciple that the New Testament speaks about? Let's begin with fundamentals. I want you to imagine that we have a big target up here with concentric circles around it. I want to begin at the outer edge, and then I want to work its way into the very heart of what constitutes discipleship. And so what I want to do is I want to begin at the beginning with the periphery and then move into the inner periphery that the outer layer introduces us into, and then follow, and then follow until we get to the heart of it. What is, then, a disciple of Jesus? Would you write this down? A disciple, number one, is a follower of Jesus. With all that that means, and that means that some way, somehow, at some point, our paths have crossed the path of Jesus, or Jesus has crossed our paths, and we became convinced that Jesus is all that he came to be, and that we have tremendous needs, and we were born again by the Spirit of God, having turned away from what we were, and facing the Savior, we follow him. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. It is just a contradiction of terms to say that I am a disciple of Jesus if I am not following him. Would you not agree? Nod your head, yes. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Now I'll give you some scripture in a moment for this, but let's go through the next stage. We now become aware of all that Jesus is, and we have decided to follow Jesus, and therefore we follow after him, and that introduces us to the second phase in discipleship, a disciple is a student of Christ. The word disciple means learner. As we shall see in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, Jesus said. 
You remember that in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus is talking about those mysterious parables which characterize the kingdom, and he speaks to those who were his own, and he said, do you not understand that the Father has given you special insights into life, into reality? A disciple of Jesus is one who is a follower of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is one who is a student of Jesus. When you are that, the more that you begin to learn about Jesus, then you discover that a disciple is a witness of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we know that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, said Jesus, and you shall be witnesses unto me, from follower to student to witness. A disciple is a witness for Jesus. And that brings us to the heart of the issue. When you have followed him, you have learned of him as a student, you have witnessed for him, then a disciple of Jesus is a friend of Jesus. Not a slave, but a friend. John tells us in his gospel. So let me repeat it then. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Speak out. Talk back to me. A follower of Jesus, a student of Jesus, a witness for Jesus, and a friend of Jesus. Well, let's probe a little deeper. Let's take this truth and let's now begin to take a few of the layers off and to see how this really works. When the Bible speaks about following the Lord Jesus, you remember that time, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, when the Lord Jesus was walking along by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brethren who were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And they left their nets and followed Jesus. That was not the first time that Andrew and Peter had met the Lord Jesus. The first time that they had met the Lord Jesus is given to us in John's Gospel, chapter 1. While they had met the Lord Jesus back then and had become convinced that Jesus was indeed the Messiah of God, as Andrew said, we have found the Messiah, and he brought his brother to Jesus. And then going on, they came to James and John, Zebedee's sons, in the other boat, evidently in a combined fishing consortium there in Galilee. Jesus said to these two brothers, come, follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. And the point is that they immediately saw in Jesus that crucial moment in their lives when they made that decision for Christ and they decided to follow him, and it is at that moment that they became a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. But there is a warning here. Beware of following Jesus, but following afar off. The question that a disciple always has to ask himself in his heart, I ask myself in my heart tonight, is the distance widening between myself and my Lord Jesus? When you come over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, you find that there it says that when Jesus was taken captive, it says that Peter followed him afar off. And even though Jesus had warned Peter about the distance widening and what would happen, Peter then denied his Lord. A disciple, I remind you, is one who follows Jesus. Would you take your New Testaments now and would you turn with me please to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14? 
I really must take the time to just drop this into your heart a little bit because there is always a cost to following Jesus. I think that's one of the missing notes today, that somehow or other we think that we can go on living our lives as we jolly well choose and that therefore there is no impact once we have chosen to follow Jesus and become aware of the fact that God has chosen us. Listen to this in verse 26 of Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? It means that when I follow Jesus, it affects the people that I love. It does. I suddenly discovered that Jesus Christ is the consummate one whom I follow and everyone else, no matter how close they are to me, they fall into that position of second star to that of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the one that I follow. Listen to the words of Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Doesn't mean that I hate in a literal sense my mother or my father my wife or my children it means that my love for them pales into insignificance compared to the love that i have for christ you see being a disciple and following jesus affects the people that i love verse 17 says and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple I take it that what that means is that when I say that I'm following the Lord Jesus, it affects the priorities that I establish in life. What Jesus is saying is that I'm willing to suffer the most reprehensible way, that of the cross, if I'm a follower of Jesus. Verse 33, another point. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And suddenly I find that there is much more to this business of following Jesus than I first thought. I would just sometimes give a nod to God. That's what we've done in our society today. A gentle, I'm on your side, God. Get to Sunday morning and to Sunday night. What am I like Monday through Friday? I discover that a disciple and being a disciple of Jesus affects the people that I love, the priorities that I set, and the possessions that I have. And if I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus, then I will begin to learn about Jesus. Would you turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11? Matthew chapter 11. And notice what Jesus said in his great invitation that he gave in the latter part of the 11th chapter of Matthew's gospel. Verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There are so many things I don't know. But I'm grateful for that which God has shown me in his word. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' continual lament to his own disciples is, don't you understand? Aren't you listening? I think that's sometimes true of us in our contemporary evangelicalism today. Are we not listening to God? Are we not hearing what God says? Or does that word have to be filtered through all of the barriers that you and I have constructed between ourselves and God? Jesus says, learn of me. A disciple is a student. But beware. And here is a warning. 
Just as there is a warning about following Jesus, but following afar off and allow the distance to widen, there's another warning when it comes to learning about Jesus. And that is the warning that it's possible to learn a lot about Jesus and then to leave him. How else can you explain pastors who for over 10 years, I'm talking about evangelical pastors, have been sinning on the side and yet proclaiming God's word on the Lord's day? Tell me, how can it be? How can any of us who name the name of Jesus say that we can have such disordered and distorted thinking and disordered lives within? Beware about learning of Jesus and then leaving him. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is a student of Jesus. A disciple is a witness for Jesus. What is a witness? The word witness in its classic sense actually is the word martyr. Carries with it the idea of someone who is willing to truly convey by a total ethic, not just verbal, but a total ethic, a total lifestyle of what it means to be committed to Jesus Christ. And so the Lord Jesus said to his own just before he ascended up to be with the Father, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he goes on to say, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses. As a disciple, we cannot help but be a witness. The question is, am I a good witness or am I a bad witness? I am a witness, that I cannot ignore, nor can I deny I'm either a good witness or a bad witness or somewhere in between. A warning here. Beware of being his messenger, but not having a message. What's the message that we're trying to say to our young people today? What is it that we're really trying to convey? What is the real heart of the gospel? We say the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's coming into a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ where my life is impacted by Christ. Amen? That's a disciple. And it means that whether I'm in the grocery store, whether I'm standing in line, whether I'm at an office, whether I'm at a computer, wherever I am, a student in college, wherever I am, primarily I am to remind myself I am a witness of Christ. And everything that I do, everything that I say, the way that I respond to given situations, I am a witness for Jesus. Beware of being his messenger, but not having his message. In John chapter 14 and 15, you read through at your leisure. We don't have time to read it tonight. But notice that the Lord Jesus Christ says, you are my friends. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I have commanded you. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, a student of Jesus, a witness of Jesus, a disciple is a friend of Jesus. Jesus says, 
I no longer call you slaves, but friends. A slave does not know what his master is doing, but you are knowing, and you are my friends, Jesus said. Do you know what that means? To be a friend of Jesus. The picture is one of closer and closer communion. I share things with my friends that I don't share with others. Don't you do that? I share things with my friends that I don't share with others. The closer the friendship, the more that we feel that we can open up our hearts. Jesus is that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But beware, says Jesus, of being my friend and not obeying my commands. My pastoral career began in a little church in southern Ohio after seminary. After three years there, I went to Calvary Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida. While there, we had one of the Poisty brothers come. Some of you know uh, Earl Poisty. And Earl shared with us a message, and this goes back 35 years ago. Back in the heart of the Cold War, back in the height of suspicion, back when the harsh heel of communism was on the neck of every believer, it was tough. Earl had just come. Earl and Dan Poisty, father, back in the old USSR, was known and was considered to be the H.A. Ironsides of that generation. Those of you who are older know what I mean. A voice well recognized. Earl came to our church and he told a story, and I want to share this story with you in closing tonight. It's a story that has always touched my heart. I haven't shared with it often. And again, in order to understand it, you can't think of the modern world. You have to think of the way it was 35 years ago. There was a pastor in a small little house church. I don't know what country. I don't know what city. I just know that Earl told me that it happened. He had just come from there and had talked to the principals involved. This little house church was an apartment. And when the believers gathered together, a handful of believers, they always drew the blinds and spoke in hushed tones as they prayed together and shared what meager few copies that they would have of various portions of Scripture together. Always living under the dread that someday they would hear a knock at the door and they would open and there would be the secret police. And that day came. When they were gathered together in that little house church having a service, a knock came on the door, they walked inside, and here was the secret police, looked around, took the names of everybody and their addresses, took their identity cards and got all the information, all of them, never said anything. After they got all the information, they left. They felt relieved. The hand of the Lord was with them. A few days later, <clears throat> the pastor, the one who lived in the apartment, told his wife that he was going to go down to the corner store and buy a loaf of bread. He never came back. As the hours went through and 
the day and it became quite clear that something had happened to the husband, the father of the children. She went to the police and made inquiry. They looked through the records and said, we don't have any record of any such man having been arrested or anything else. And the day became two days, three days, a week, two weeks, a month, several months. Her husband, the pastor of that little church, dropped out of sight. They faced an option to quit or to continue right on. The verse of Scripture, He that hath put his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And they thought, press on. Many things they did not understand. Many things they were not sure of. But this one thing they knew, as God gave them breath, they would press on. And sure enough, one day, months later, and when they opened the door, here was a man standing, just one man, in the uniform of the secret police, and by the braid on his epaulets, they knew he was an officer. He said, I mean you no harm. I've just come. I have to share something with you. I'm not embellishing this. This is exactly as Earl told it 35 years ago. He walked inside, and the first thing that he did, and mind you, the church is gathered there, this little church. He's by himself. He said, I know that you are wondering what has happened to Reverend so-and-so. I'm here to tell you that he's dead. When I came with the group of men, and yes, he was one of those who had come some months before to take all of their identifications. He said we arrested him when he went to the bread store the following day, and it was I a few days later, along with a group of my men, and I went out and made him dig his own grave at the edge of town. And he said, I took my own rifle, and I lined up the sights to shoot your pastor. And he said there was such a look of peace as I sighted down the barrel of my rifle. There was such a look of peace. I squeezed the trigger. He died instantly, fell back into his grave, and we buried him there. And he said, over these weeks, I've not been able to get, he said to the wife, your husband's face out of my mind. That look of peace. And he said, I've come tonight Will you share with me how I can know that peace? And they opened the scriptures and led him to Jesus Christ. And that night he confessed Christ as his very own Savior. And then they said, you know what this means, do you not? He said, yes, I know what it means. But he said, I just want you to know that I am now a disciple of Jesus and I will be with him no matter come what may. My friends, that's discipleship. It's loving Jesus so much that regardless of the burdens we bear, regardless of all that comes against us, it is Jesus Christ our Lord. And we discover that as 
his followers, as his students, as his witnesses, as his friends, we are truly his disciples. If this prediction that Russell Chandler makes comes true, then we are in for dire circumstances. But it is not too late to change the course, and it must begin with you and with me. In closing tonight, I'd like for you to turn to a hymn that says it in a wonderful way. That it could be that if you're here tonight and you do not know Christ personally as your Savior, there's not been that saving relationship established between you and Jesus. I'm going to ask you to come, even on a Sunday night. Kneel right here at the front. Let us have an opportunity to pray with you. And there, open your heart by faith and say yes to Christ. Because he is who he claimed to be. And if in your heart God has convicted you tonight that, boy, I'm like these people that Russell Chandler's written about, that though I say I believe in Jesus, there's been no change in my behavior. In fact, I've gotten worse rather than become better. And tonight, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord Jesus. Would you turn with me, please, to number 554? I have decided to follow Jesus. An old song, but filled with heart and filled with hope. I have decided to follow Jesus as God's Holy Spirit lays it upon your heart as to whether or not you are a disciple in those terms. Thank you that you've given us the high privilege of following him, of being called after the name of your Son, our Savior. And as we leave this place tonight and as we go to our homes and as we resume our activities tomorrow, may we be aware that we are truly disciples of the Lord Jesus, different men and women having a different lifestyle, a different value system, different priorities to bring glory to your Son and to honor to your name. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. Lead, guide, and direct in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. The Lord bless you. We're dismissed. You've been listening to Donald Hubbard. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.